Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to a very special episode of the Extra Inch Podcast. My name is Wendy, and I'm joined by a special guest for a one-off special. We have Kristen Hennage here. Kristen, hello. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. And we're very, very happy to have you here. Um, And this all came about because you've been doing some work with Flav for uh, the Fighting Cox 30% podcast, the Transfer Touch-Up. And I must say, I've been very much enjoying your in-depth knowledge on Spurs' transfer targets. You got me very excited about Tongi Yundabele. Uh, earlier in the season, you, you're big on him. Yeah, and and to be fair, that friend me the other day, it gave a nice little uh, window into that. I think if you'd invested your money in in Andombele's stock, you were pretty pleased with the early return. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, early signs are great, and you know, under Pochettino, one would like to think that he'll only get better. So onwards and upwards with him. Um, before we crack on, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your career to this point, how you got into football, if that's all right. Yeah. So some. I did a journalism degree at Northumbria University, um, kind of launched myself into freelancing, did stuff for 442, uh, news stories for ESPN now and again. Managed to, to worm my way into ESPN thanks to John Bruin and, and was Newcastle and Sunderland correspondent for a little under two years there. Then jumped back into freelancing. Uh, kind of mired within all of that was work at Ball Street, which is where I met, um, the lovely Flav. Um, and yeah, just, just kind of, Carving out a little bit of a niche as someone who keeps an eye on the European game, but then also a little bit on MLS as well, because America's always kind of fascinated me as as just a footballing nation because it's it has history, but a lot of it is not really known, and and it's sort of to the outside world contained within the bubble of MLS and maybe a little bit in NASL if you're kind of old enough to remember Pele and all that era. Nice, and we have a lot of American listeners, so I'm I'm sure they'll be excited to hear some tales of the MLS. Um, and we're going to touch on that a little bit later because you did some scouting, which I'm fascinated to hear more about. Um, but we'll start off with a story you you have. Um, so I was, Flav gave me a call one day and said, "Look, I've just been speaking to Kristen. He's he's got some really he's got some really interesting stories, and he knows a lot about the Spurs youth players, and he's got one particular story about Keenan Bennett's." And my eyes kind of lit up. Bennett's was a player that I was very fond of when he was at Spurs. Um, ultimately, he left for Borussia Mönchengladbach um, last year. 
he didn't actually play a great deal for them at all, as in like he was playing for their second team, but he got injured um, at the start of the year and, and basically forced his way back into their second team in the second half of the season. Um, but he's a, a player with pedigree. He's an, he was an England under-19 player, a free-kick specialist who scored several free-kicks for our under-23 team and under-19s as well. Um, and interestingly, he's got a German mother, so he speaks German. So the move kind of made sense. But tell us a little bit about how... What this story that you you've got hold of? Tell us a little bit about it and how you came to know this stuff. Yeah, so it was um, Spanish journalist is is from my parish from Durham reached out and said, "Look, Newcastle playing Tottenham in the FA Youth Cup. Do you want to watch?" I said, "Sure, it, it sounds like a, a a good idea and a good night out." So we went along. Um, he had a, a bit of a better grasp than me in terms of who certain players were, and he he kind of picked out Keenan first and, and said, "That's that's allowed to watch." And sure enough. Few minutes in, he drives in on his his left foot and fires this absolute rocket of a shot past the goalkeeper. And he didn't really build on anything from there, but you could see he had enough of the quality and and ability. And it's funny, I had literally just spoken to Marcus Rashford's youth coach at Man United not long before that, and I had said, "How do you identify a player at such a young age to move up that system?" And he said, "Well, if they look like a professional footballer, that's usually a good start." And to be fair, Keenan did look like that. And he was one of a few that night. Samuel Shishoa was another one who, who looked good. They were, looked very small to me. But then you have to consider he's going to grow a bit and develop physically. Oliver Skip, again, did not break a sweat. Was so calm in possession. Looked like one of the more mature heads in that team, um, despite being so young. And so I tweeted out after the game that I thought a couple of players stood out. Name dropped Keenan specifically. Um and someone close to him kind of reached out and said, look, would you be interested in doing an interview? And I said, yeah, sure. So I managed to, to pitch the interview and, and there was interest. But unfortunately, it kind of fell apart. For I think they had struggled to get clearance from Tottenham or they hadn't communicated properly and there was just a bit of ambiguity about that. So I didn't think anything else of it and just kind of left it. And then a little time after that, someone else reached out and said, look, you know, would you be interested in doing a slightly different story on Keenan? And I said, sure, like, you know, what is it you want to discuss? So we had a phone call and basically they intimated that there was a, a slight frustration around his situation because he had played in tournaments in Germany. And as you said, his, his mother is German, so speaks the language fluently. I believe the German FA had interest in capping him at one point. I know he was kind of between the, the two at one point. Um, and they said Bruce Dortmund had, had shown an interest, possibly on loan. He was open to maybe a loan domestically in the Football League. But there just wasn't really any kind of action from Spurs. And it wasn't as if he was being included in the first team. So he, he was just felt like he was a little bit of an impasse where he wasn't getting the experience that he wanted. And he didn't want to just sit in youth team football because he felt like he was ready to move past that as a situation. Really interesting. And that ultimately led to him moving permanently. So he didn't get his way, didn't get his loan and wasn't getting the first team exposure that he obviously craved um, and, and left for Borussia Mönchengladbach for a reported two million. Um, and this is a common thread. So this is something I've heard numerous times with numerous different players, notably Luke Amos, who had offers to go out on loan. Spurs wouldn't allow it. Jack Rold had offers to go out on loan. Spurs wouldn't allow it. And Milos Velkovic a few years back, um, one of the reasons he left for, again, the Bundesliga was that he wasn't allowed to either play for Spurs or go out on loan. He wanted one or the other. And I remember when Pochettino first came to Spurs, there was a lot of talk about him wanting to keep players in and around the first team squad if he rated them as as prospects. And that was to do with wanting to build good habits um, in terms of training, 
in terms of their tactical knowledge and the way that uh, they observe the other professional players who and the way they handle themselves. Um, but the, the downside of that is you've got a whole bunch of players who are kind of kept in limbo and are not playing any first-team football. So Kyle Walker-Peters is a prime example. He's now kind of being thrust into the limelight because we've sold Kieran Trippier. But actually, he's he's largely untested. He's played more for England under-21s over the last 18 months than he has for Spurs, which is which is kind of nuts when you think about it. And he, he could have been out on loan for the past three, maybe even four seasons at various levels and developing in the way that someone like Harry Kane or Andros Townsend did. Um, and we've now got a group of players in Josh Onema, Marcus Edwards and Cameron Carter-Vickers who I would imagine will be leaving soon. And I'd, li- I'd like to think that pathways could have been different. So you're, you're obviously interested in youth football in general, Kristen. Do you have any... Um, thoughts on, on how Spurs are developing players or on how Premier League clubs generally are developing young players and, and whether there are right or wrong ways of doing things? I, th- I think it's, it's really difficult. I've had a, a few chats with, um, I wish I knew his real name, but essentially Rowden on, on Twitter, who I think is one of the sort of leading thinkers on these kind of subjects. It's difficult for me because I, I, I feel like there's been a little bit of inconsistency with Spurs. So I look at, say, Cameron Carter-Vickers as a good and how American fans reacted to his loan spells at first. They saw it as, oh, well, if he's being loaned out, he must not have a future because Poch has said these things. And I think because Pochettino was so adamant about the way he wanted to develop players, it meant the second that someone left, like Onoma, like Edwards, it was given a greater interpretation or a negative connotation that maybe wasn't there. And I, th- I think... Edwards is a, a good example because, look, we all read those horribly titled pieces about him being like Messi. And mm-hmm. that, that again, two young players, a massive disservice. He goes to Norwich and it just doesn't work. And again, it's that idea of the narrative dragging the player down rather than the actual situation. And he then goes to Holland, has a good time in Holland. I think Jack Pitbrook does a piece on him about how his personality is a bit more introverted, he's a bit shy. I mean, look at even someone like Ravel Morrison, who's now talked about the fact that he couldn't really function when he was taken out of the bubble that was home. He struggled to eat, struggled with all these different kind of things. And those are the moments where I think, well, that's really where you as a football club need to be dedicated enough to treat every player as an individual and, and cater to as much as they need, because everyone's different for as many sort of self-starters as you have. There are going to be players that need a little bit more watching. And while I do kind of admire this Pochettino idea of we keep everyone in house and we set the standards and all, I just don't know if that's going to be realistic because you have a situation like Kyle Walker-Peters where he's just sat around for quite a while now. I, I get that there's talent there. I mean, we we saw it when they played Newcastle um, and he got the man of the match. But again, he needs those repetitions. He needs that experience because, as you say, now you're going to put him in and you don't really know where his ceiling is. Even even those people who watch um, the under-23s and the development squads regularly, they will give you tremendous insight on that situation. But then how it translates is so difficult to truly be sure on that I just question if there needs to be something of, of a revision about how Spurs are doing this because it doesn't seem to me like they're getting the most sort of bang for their buck when you look at, let's say... Andros Townsend, Harry Kane as two examples of players that were quite religiously loaned out to the point where 
it looked as if they just didn't want them. And yet those two actually had, to varying degrees, I give you, good first-team careers with Spurs. Yeah, yeah, you're spot on. And I think that the, the talk this summer is that Pochettino has kind of relaxed his initial philosophy and that we might see a few young players go out on loan. I think there has to be more of a middle ground, quite frankly, because the other thing is you're not going to develop all of your young players into first-team players for your club. And that's completely fine when you're a Premier League club and, a, and more specifically a Champions League club. We can't expect to have three, four players coming through from the academy every year to be you know, parachuted into the first team and be Harry Kane. That's just completely unrealistic. So what you have to look at is ways that you maximise their potential and maximise their value to a point that it then funds the academy. The academy becomes a profitable enterprise in itself, and a bit like Chelsea have done, although they've gone too far the other way, of course. I think Spurs now need to get to... I don't know. They need they need to find the 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 the, the point in the middle where fifty percent of the players are going out on loan and getting experience, and the really elite players are with the first team squad, and the rest are in the dev squad in the in the uh, uh, under nineteen squad playing in the Champions League uh, style tournament, and then you've got the under eighteens kind of getting chances every now and again with the twenty threes, and 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 that is to me the ideal situation that we're kind of missing at the moment with, with players just sort of left in limbo. Um, really interesting to talk to you about it as someone who doesn't have a, a, a horse in the, in the race, so to speak. Kristen, I want to talk to you a little bit about your experience scouting as well, because I know you very interestingly ended up as a scout for an MLS club. How did that happen? Yeah, so I... I... I was a sort of consultant of sorts for uh, a team called the Seattle Sounders. Um, it was pure luck and circumstance that the assistant coach followed me um, on Twitter. And <clears throat> and I just reached out and said, you know, I, I've had an interest in doing this. You know, I, I, it's, I always feel quite self-conscious talking about myself in these terms, but I feel like I can spot a decent player. Is there any chance I could maybe get some advice or tips on you know, how to break into that or what have you. And, and he kind of said, look, you know, um, is there anyone you like the look of at the minute? And I said, well, I've got five names. And so I sent him those five names and, and they turned out pretty well for the most part. Um, there's two I can think of, three actually, that are, are playing in MLS now that were in the second division at the time. Um, and so we kind of struck up a bit of a, a conversation and a relationship from there. And so then it became a, a case of I would get an email every now and again, you know, what do you think of this guy? You know, could you have a look at this guy for us? And then I said, well, you know, could this be a bit more formal? Could it be a situation where, you know, I get the experience, that's the benefit for me. <clears throat> and the benefit for you is the fact that you have an opinion to run over. And then it, it sort of evolved a little bit to then they wanted to look at players from, say, Europe or South America. Now, been really honest with them and try to be honest with with people as well. If I don't know about a player, I'll I'll admit it because I think the quickest way to destroy your reputation. I don't know if you ever saw that Talksport video years ago where they just went round some Premier League grounds and just made up players. <laughs> Absolutely, that kind of scenario. If you don't know, you'll be found out so quickly, and it just kills it. So there were some instances where they'd say, you know, what do you think of this player? And I would know him by name, but but not anything to really hang my hat on. So in that instance, it's a case of just doing research and kind of reaching out to people in that part of the world. Um, at the same time, it was a case of, you know, 
talking to people and reverse engineering that situation. So if they tell me they need player for we're looking at this kind of player, reaching out to people I know in those parts of the world and saying, look, is there anyone that kind of fits this mold for you? And then when you get those names, you go away and you watch them yourselves and you decide, okay, this is a good suggestion, this is a bad suggestion. Because again, it it is very much a case of opinions. I, I know that things have moved along massively since then and, and Twitter often seems like this amazing hive mind for data and statistics. And I look at guys, just to pick one off the top of my head, Blade Analytics, who does a lot of really smart stuff in, in the football league um, and got picked up by Peterborough off the back of it. Um, so it's it's definitely moved a long way just in the time since that I was doing it a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, it, it was a, a fantastic experience. It's something I've, I still try to do occasionally when the opportunity arises. Um, and I think long term, it's something I definitely want to be more involved in just because it's, it is, it's, it's very exciting. It's very engrossing. And I think if you're a little bit obsessed with the game I think it's something you can take immense enjoyment out of I just think that's so fascinating and I'm sure um, our listeners will be interested to hear it I'm, I hope you don't mind I'd like to dig a little bit more into the mechanics of it because I'm, I'm, I've got no idea how it all works so how would things have will you, will you be sitting at home watching tape of these players and then what happens someone gets in touch with you and, and do they give you like a pro forma to rate them on in any way or are you literally just writing a paragraph or two about a player's strengths or weaknesses or is it just literally Yes, he's good. No, he's not good. Yeah, so so it's funny. I, I devised a form myself, which now I think calling it, looking back, calling it a form is, is <laughs> far too standardised, which which basically broke down. And it's so funny because we talk about Football Manager a lot. Like it, it did kind of lean on those three columns that we think of where you have like physical, like mental, technical in terms of, for me, I would I would reach out locally if I could and try and speak to someone who knew the player for a bit of a character reference because he, he I always remember there was one player who was playing in an ASL who he just he just looked so disinterested in the whole game every time I watched him he wasn't bothered and so I reached out to someone and they said well you know the club's not doing great it's struggling and so it, it turned out it was more a case of he wasn't happy with his situation rather than no he's lazy or he's just you know not focused and as soon as you took him out of that situation and he felt like he was going somewhere, he changed completely. So it's, it's situations like that. And it, and at the same time, there was, when it came to, for example, looking at European players, there was instances where they would reach out and say, okay, we're looking at, um, let's just say Flav Bateman, for example. Yeah. Um, we have no concerns with him technically. Um, what's he like as a character? Um, you know, problematic, hugely problematic. Um, what's his best position? That kind of thing. We've seen him play a few different positions. And so you would reach out to someone and, and I was always upfront in terms of what I was doing and, and the purposes of it. Because again, I think just, yeah, Catholic upbringing, all that kind of thing. Just be honest. Um, and so it was an instance of just gathering information and then saying, okay, well, this is what this contact told me in Holland or Croatia or wherever it was um and then sometimes giving them the added context of and this so you can sort of own um you know sort of seal of approval on the information and the source that it's come from 
Nice. Uh, yeah, hugely envious of you of you performing this role. Just even just from seeing the inner workings of a football club, I just think it's fascinating. Um, before I let you go, it would be rude not to talk a little bit about your club and the absolute fucking mess that they've got themselves into this summer. Uh, so you're a Newcastle fan. I feel I just feel for you so much. Um, I, I, I have so much sympathy for Newcastle fans generally under Mike Ashley. It's been horrendous, but it's got so much worse all of a sudden. What the hell is going on? Yeah, it's, it's a funny one. Um, it's it's an odd football club just because it is. We talk about directionless teams a lot. That's that's possibly the best word for it because I get that some some teams want to be a little bit more thrifty and want to try and you know operate in a in a financially smart way. I look at say Norwich City as an example of that and what Stuart Webb is doing. Um, that I think is more a consequence of of the size of that football club more than anything. But that's fine. At the same time, though, Norwich invest in certain avenues of their football club. They they invest somewhere. <clears throat> I just don't know where Newcastle have been investing. Um, yes, Rafa Benitez was on good money, but again, now he's gone, you've decided to downgrade that with Steve Bruce. So then where does that money go? Um, is it going on the youth team? No, not really. The infrastructure is still barely Premier League standard. It might go on this Joe Linton deal if that goes ahead. But even that, it's... Whenever they do spend money, it almost feels reactionary to, okay, you've kind of pushed us into a corner. So in this case, it's the 12,000 supposed unsold season tickets. Um, and the thing I don't believe Mike Ashley ever seems to get is that you can't really run a football club year to year. You need some kind of long-term projection. Every now and again, you will stumble across a Sean Longstaff who, you know, was developed through a few loans and then just showed up brilliantly on some aerobic tests and slotted into the first team. But realistically, if you want to make a player or you want to develop a player properly, you need some long-term vision and some long-term strategy. And that starts with whether it's a coach who you know is going to be around for a while or a set of parameters that the coach fits into. It doesn't really matter. And that's the problem is that at a time in the Premier League where it seems like pretty much every club that's in there now is either building a new training centre or aspiring to something. Um, Newcastle are just existing. Like, they're just, you know, if, if you said to them now, you know, we'll give you 17 for the next five years, they would be delighted with that because they're like, that's five years more Premier League money. But then that Premier League money doesn't actually do anything. So it's 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 a bit of an oddity of a football club um, that I don't think will stop being odd anytime soon, unfortunately. Yeah, and... When you talk about them just existing at the moment, I, I fear it might not even be that level. I, I really fear for Newcastle this season. And then if they were to get relegated, I mean, you just dread to think what would happen from then on. Um, they've really shot themselves in the foot this summer. There's so many bad decisions, um, not least appointing Steve Bruce for, for a considerable sum as well. I imagine, I think they paid a good amount of compensation for a manager who's got one of the worst Premier League records going. It just seems bizarre. Um, and let's hope they get some players in because there's not a lot to be excited about in Newcastle at the moment. And I do feel for you. Um, Kristen, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely brilliant and fascinating to hear from you. Um, where can people find you on social media if they want to follow your stuff? It's um, at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Um, and yeah, by all means, you know, I tweet my way. I'm always interested in in talking to people about uh, about football. 
Yeah, well, actually, we've got a bone to pick with you because we've seen you uh, engaging quite a bit with some of these, some of these Arsenal fan TV types. Uh, and yeah, but Bardi said to me earlier on today, Bardi, who who's a fellow extra incher, uh, said make sure you make sure you say something to Kristen about that. I've I've seen him talking to DT and the like, so <laughs> he just wanted us to point that out. <laughs> I must I must confess that's like what's the opposite of a guilty pleasure. <laughs> I feel bad because I, I've only met Robbie briefly and he seems a nice guy but I just can't understand the appeal of, of that you know what I mean yeah yeah totally with you it is what it is it makes it makes money it makes people happy it makes people sad I just it's not something that ever crosses my um and that's that for me is the really funny thing is that like the evolution as someone who was in the Ball Street sort of early-ish days is how different those platforms have gone Mm. let's say red men tv and people like yourselves who are we want our listeners to be you know as informed and serious and sort of almost academic in discussion to then arsenal fan tv which is it's it's parody it's 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 absolute parody it's it's insane (laughs) it's not a fair reflection of how football fans are although you know perhaps at perhaps at the emirates it is um, Kristen, lovely speaking to you, and it'll be great to get you back on uh, before our match against Newcastle to get some expert views on on that one. <laughs> Absolutely, I can stretch your gonna win out for a good ten minutes. <laughs> You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out; he's great. great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.